Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Copper and Blue podcast, the post-trade deadline edition. I'm your host, Preston Hodgkinson. Joining me are my lovely co-hosts, Jonah Hickmore and Corey Travers. It was quite an uneventful day for the Edmonton Oilers on this trade deadline. They made one trade, bringing in a veteran defenseman Dmitry Kulikov from the New Jersey Devils in exchange for a 2022 conditional fourth round pick that fourth round pick will become a third round pick in 2022 if the Oilers win a playoff round this year so what do we think of this trade what does what is Dmitry Kulikov to this roster sad violin noise (laughs) (laughs) what do you want it's the it's the sad violin noise that you hear you know in the background when there was an expectation of a lot better trade deadline day. I mean, we'll go to Corey for some actual hockey analysis now, but yeah, he's yeah. that sound effect for me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I agree with that for the most part. Uh, I don't actually think it's a bad deal. Like I think Kulikov had, I believe the highest expected goals percentage on the, the devil's blue line this year. So he's actually played pretty well and he's played some some decent minutes, I think, with Subban, who's not nearly as good as he used to be, obviously. But uh, just the fact that, you know, he's playing some tough-ish minutes. Um, you know, he's not playing completely sheltered third-pairing minutes and, and putting up those numbers is impressive. Um, you know, New, Jer- New Jersey isn't a great team. So does that make him one of the better defensemen on the Oilers? Probably not. Like, I think defense is an area of relative – strength in terms of depth for the Oilers in that it's a tough we said before a tough defense to crack although they don't have a lot of great like high-end defensemen possibly outside of nurse um so like I think it's a fine deal but it's just it moves the needle so little that it's hard to get excited about and it just kind of the fact that it's the only deal is what's depressing personally I kind of just have poor associations with defenders coming in from New Jersey. <laughs> That's very fair as well. This is the first time the Oilers got a defenseman from New Jersey, but I don't think we anyone wants to talk about the last time. Um, yeah, I'm just saying. I, I think I agree with you, Corey. On, on the surface, um, if you just isolate the steal by itself, it's an all right trade for the Oilers to make. It brings in a, a veteran left-handed defenseman and um, – He's a good penalty killer. He's has good possession numbers this year. So on the surface, it's it's a fine deal. You're not giving up much in a conditional fourth. And if you give up that third, hey, you won a playoff round. So it, it's kind of worth it, I think. Um, but yeah, you, there was so much hype around this deadline. You had teams like Toronto and Tampa Bay um, making some creative deals to get around the cap. So you'd hope the Oilers would have done that to improve their top six and to see that they haven't. And all they had to show for it is Dmitry Kulikov. It's, it's kind of depressing. Um, so what do you guys think this means for the roster? For myself, I hope this knocks Chris Russell out of the roster, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, bingo. Uh, if, if Russell plays less or, or plays hardly at all because of this, then I think we'll have slightly upgraded just a, a defense-only defenseman who basically creates zero offense uh that's that's what kulikov is uh russell's kind of also that but i think kulikov's play uh, is is i would pretty confidently say a better version of russell um ideally i'd like to see like evan bouchard get into games but that wasn't happening before so it's almost certainly not going to happen now uh and if we're we're also kicking caleb jones out of the roster then i think there's it's possible you may have 
gotten worse despite not trading a roster player, which is which is not great. So, I mean, and if 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 not worse, because Kulikov may be as good as Jones is right now or better, but there's the whole development issue where you're giving even less minutes to guys who are going to be part of your team in the future. So, yeah, if if if, if Russell's not the one who sees a decrease in playing time, then I won't be excited about this. I uh, I think I'm just the most pessimistic um, person on this podcast because I think what this generally means is that the younger defenders are going to get even less playing time um, and that it's going to set this team back even more in, in a period where it can't afford any more setbacks, right? They've had – I think I've been following the Oilers for like, oh, gosh – the better part of 15 years um, and they've been in a, a constant rebuild the entire time I've been following them. So um, make Preston own his explicit tag for this one. It's time that they shit or get off the pot, like rebuild or fucking commit to being ridiculously awful. Um, and no team's going to commit to being ridiculously awful. So actually, um, you know, the, there's all this talk, oh, well, they couldn't find what they wanted to pull a trigger on, or, you know, they couldn't make a deal work. If you are really committed to a rebuild, you will either find a way to make it work through draft prospects and picks like Carolina has, or you'll find a way to bring in players to make a rebuild work in a short term for some success. And the Oilers have done neither. So they're kind of like, you know, that person in the room that's like, oh, yeah, we really want to do something, but we just can't. And it's just sad violin noise because you're you just you go into every draft or trade your draft, you know, free agency trade deadline thinking, oh, I wonder if they're actually going to do something, you know, that gives this team a more legitimate more legitimate chance to be a contender and then you walk out of each one and you're like well I suppose that looks okay on the surface but I don't actually know what it does to move this team forward right yeah and so if you've got Kulikov and he's okay on the surface he's better than Russell maybe you see a slight uptick this year but did you really move your team forward overall like honestly not just you know you know if you're not going to move the if you're not going to have made a big move to bring in something, you know, that's going to move you forward a lot right now. Why are you bothering to move yourself incrementally forward right now and substantially back later? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think I, I agree with you there. For this trade overall. It, it, it's strange because we have a large faction of the fan base. And I think the majority of the media here who justified Holland being quiet on the basis that the Oilers just weren't a contender yet. And if they're not a contender, like you said, why are we making these incremental tiny little moves for a guy like Kulikov who we probably won't re-sign in the offseason? Like, what's the point at all in improving if you're not going to go for it? We have we have two of the best goal scorers in the league in Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. They're in their prime of the, their careers. They are playing the best hockey of their career, and they're carrying this team into a playoff berth this year. And we got Dmitry Kulikov to support them. Like, it makes no sense, especially in this type of year when it's arguably the 
easiest it'll ever be for the Oilers to make the conference finals. It just makes no sense. And you can say cap space is the, the thing that held Holland back, but I'm going to point to Toronto and I'm going to point to Tampa Bay and be like, those guys had less cap space than us and they added some impact guys. Why couldn't we do that? And I think it really speaks volumes when you hear Ken Holland in his press conference say, uh, no, I didn't ask those questions to other GMs. I didn't ask if they could help out with the cap. It, it just seems like he was ignoring a basic part of his job. And I think Oilers fans are definitely uh, justified in feeling like this was just super disappointing. Well, I mean, I said it before we got started jokingly, but you need to upgrade your upgrade your GM from someone who was to someone who was good at his job past 2005. You know, that's two lockouts ago and two CBAs ago. And I don't think honestly, Colin knows what he's doing in this this new environment he just doesn't so he's still trying to play some sort of you know 15 years ago gm game and everybody else is doing way smarter things you know and then you look at the oilers roster and you're like oh why can't they get better oh yeah they can't get better because their management sucks and can't get their shit together and figure out how to like actually make a hockey team Hmm. well it's not like we've never seen that before, you know, like we got Holland and everyone was like, oh yes, this be so much better than Chiarelli. Like he's going to do so much, so many good things, you know, and then you had that other segment of Oilers fans being like, he's killed Detroit. What the fuck are you expecting? And, you know, because they're Oilers fans that are justified in being a little bit uh, leery, I think. But I think to be overall, to be blunt, overall Holland's entire tenure as GM of this team is marked by not doing very much like what are really big moves he's made that other you wouldn't think a a mildly competent gm or my cat could manage to do you know my cat's real cute (laughs) i'm pretty sure that jesse jesse would have resigned for my cat yeah i think the one real like shocking move that uh holland was able to pull off was that lucic for neil um trade early on in his tenure but even then the smart thing to do there was to buy out neil and open up some more cap space because he has a much more buyout friendly deal and he didn't do that so i think he 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 missed the mark on what that deal was supposed to be it was nice that he pulled it off but he didn't yeah it was great yeah but yeah you can't um it's like one of those show your work math problems. You can't get the right answer, which was getting rid of, you know, uh, Lucic and trading for Neil, and then stop showing your work halfway through the problem. You're still not going to get full marks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And to use a little bit of a, to, to go further on the, the homework or the, the schoolwork <laughs> analogy here, I feel like Holland admitting that he didn't really call around to figure out if they could get a third party team to help with the cap space. I mean, that's Preston said it was a fundamental part of his job. That's almost an understatement. Like that's basically your whole job. Like the hockey ops department as a staff can say who we should be going after. could say, this guy's not getting the job done. We need to improve in this position. The, the GM's job, the reason the GM gets paid so much more than everyone who works under him is because of the connections he has. So networking and talking to the other GMs who you're who you know so well and making things happen and 
maybe bringing up things that, I mean, cause the third party team is never going to just like pop in and say, Hey, we could make a deal work if you, if you need, like, there's very little value to them of, you know, sticking their head in and saying, Hey, we can facilitate a deal here, but also it's not going to a third party team in these situations usually will just comply with like what, what they're being asked because what, whatever they get a slight upgrade in some area just to take on some money for another team, which they're usually in a position to do anyway. So they're never going to volunteer for that, but you have to be asking around and saying, can you help us with a deal? That's basically your whole job. Like the, the, the interpersonal skills is what separates a GM from just some guy who works in a hockey ops department. Really? I thought that was the old boys club. I mean, that's why it's an old boys club. That's why the old boys club seemingly can expand is because they all know each other and they only talk to each other. So if you're not even going to do that, then like, what's the point of having an old boys club? And like the answer to that is no, there shouldn't be, but yeah. Uh, Corey, you're going to talk the old boys club with me. Uh Uh We're not going to get derailed tonight. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And the Oilers, they obviously swung and missed on adding Forge, which I think was their biggest need heading into this deadline, most notably at second left wing and third, third line center. Um, And when pressed on a question on whether he got close to any of these players, Holland just straight up said, no, we didn't get very close on anything. And it's, I, I can understand not wanting to pay like a, a huge price. Like I heard the, the, the ask in Anaheim for, for Raquel was just insane. Um, Taylor Hall had a no movement clause. It sounded like he had his heart set on Boston. So maybe there was a trade there that got declined, but to say you didn't even get close on arguably your biggest need, like, come on, man, you're, you're, you're a hall of fame GM. You're supposed to be able to, to negotiate these deals and, and get something done. And to say you weren't even close, it's not going to cut it, man. Like the, you have two of the best players here in the league and you need to do something. There's, there's no excuses. I would say, I would wonder, I wonder if he even thought he would, what he was going for, because, you know, you say it's our biggest need. I would wonder if you were to ask him, Oh, what was the biggest need? What he would tell you, because, you know, his perception of what this team needs has been a little bit skewed. And I think that's affecting how he's prioritizing, right? So, you know, we're sitting here talking about how we need a, a second left wing and a third center. Well, you know, if Holland's like, well, we need like two guys in the defense and another goalie prospect and something, and and then a second left wing and a third line center, right? He's not going to try for it. So um, I think, you know, it's great to say he, um, him, for him to go out there and say, I didn't even try, you know, we weren't even close is, is shitty. But I think a better question to ask him is, were you even looking for that? Like, were you even actually, because it's one thing not to be close to getting a deal. It's another to be fucking sitting on your hands. And my sneaking suspicion is he was sitting on his hands on both of those positions because he doesn't think we really need one. Right. And I've got absolutely nothing to back that up. I'm not an insider. I'm just an angry, spicy ranter. But um, (laughs) aren't we all right now? Yeah. But I but I think that, you know, it's way he he sounds like way less of an asshole if he says we didn't even get close. And he says, "Ah, I didn't even bother to look. Yeah. Right. Well, shit, I never thought to try. (laughs) I mean, it's it's, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's like 
not doing your homework and saying, well, like I didn't know the answers. Like what, what was I supposed to do? It's like, we'll figure it out. Yeah. That's your job. Fuck. You're getting paid $5 million a year to, to yeah. saw, have those answers. Right. Um, so yeah, I think we can look at the Kulikov deal and be like, okay, it's a nice deal. But if you look at the big picture of things, this team did not get significantly better. And the weaknesses that we had before the deadline, there's still the weaknesses. And it didn't sound like the GM, the guy in charge, the guy in charge of fixing all these weaknesses really did anything to do, to solve them. And that, that's a problem. Um, he, he's lost me quite a bit after this deadline. I think his last draw is this this summer and to see what he can do with this um, offloading of money in this new found cap space in free agency. <laughs> we're going to be talking about that in just a little bit, but we're going to uh, hear from uh, these ads. So we'll talk to you right away. Okay, and we're back. We were just uh, kind of going on a brigade against Ken Holland here for not doing much for the Oilers as they enter the stretch. They picked up Dmitry Kulikov, but uh, missed out on perhaps their biggest needs, which was at uh, second left wing and third center, in my opinion. Completely struck out and got nobody to help McDavid and Dreisaitl. With that being said, Chris Johnston over at Sportsnet said that he feels that the Edmonton Oilers are going to be a big player in this offseason in free agency. So what is that going to look like? We have a lot of, of money coming off the books. We obviously have to sign Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Adam Larson, Tyson Berry's coming up, Kyler Yamamoto. Two of those guys are going to be back, I think, for sure. And Nugent Hopkins and Yamamoto, uh, we could probably disagree on Tyson Berry and Adam Larson. But outside of those obvious guys that might be in the talks for extensions, who do you think the Oilers are going to be targeting this summer? Oh, you know, my uh, my wish list starts before the summer and it's a new GM because I don't think that they're going to make a big splash with the same people. Like, I'd like to see them really try something different um, in how they approach um, approach getting what they need. And, okay, if Holland, if, Holland, if Holland wants to do something different and unique and, like, something that he hasn't done before, great, he can stay. But if he doesn't want to, like stretch then I want somebody new so first I want a GM <laughs> and then you can talk to me about who my GM can find for you <laughs> that's understandable I want, I want to say something quick I know a lot of a lot of people who interact with Matt on their Twitter account Matt's pretty pessimistic but he, he says a lot of things that are true and I don't think a, a section of the fan base really enjoys that um we get upset with GMs, not because we hate the team. It's because we love this team and see people mismanage it to a point where we're just like, man, we, we need someone else in here to handle this. Right. And, and I think that needs as a point that needs to be said because too many people are just like, Oh, you hate the Oilers. Cause you, you hate Ken Holland. No, it's not the fact that's not the deal at all. Hold on. Hold on. Huh. This is like yeah. for me the fundamental. To me, actually, I kind of hate the Oilers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, like the fundamental thing for me is that um, no one person, or you know, whether they be a man, a pr- part of the team administration or a player, is actually the Oilers hockey club. So yeah, I can 110 percent merrily go on my way hating Ken Holland if that's what I do. I I don't actually hate Ken Holland. Um, I just hate incompetence. Um. I'm a perfectionist. I hate when people do stupid things. Um, but 
even if I hate players on the Oilers, like there's some guys they could get and I would 110% hate them. That doesn't mean I hate the Oilers because this hockey club should be more than one or two players. And you would hope that our fans are smart enough to realize that you can actually strongly dislike a player without that meaning, or a manager or a GM, without that meaning you hate the hockey club. Yeah, exactly. That being for, said, for sure. I'm not sure that's happening. So just roll with, I hate the Oilers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think but it gets misconstrued quite a bit. Matt and I are on our like umpteenth year of hating the Oilers because they keep <laughs> disappointing us. <laughs> As far as uh, as far as wish looks go, I, I I don't think it would be that much different than it was at the deadline, to be honest. I mean, Hall Hall's a very interesting one where I don't know, like I kind of want to see him win in Boston. I don't like Boston at all, but I've always liked Hall. Uh, and but I'm trying to think like how successful would he have to be for him to become attractive to the Oilers in the off season, but also not super expensive. I want him to do exactly that well so that somehow he gets to the Oilers on somehow a reasonable deal. And like, it's probably not going to happen. Like is, is Matt is, Husser, is Corey has to go do some very, very specific math. Yeah, How many goals does Taylor Hall score to be attractive, but not yeah. expensive. Exactly. <laughs> if I have this much room, like, he can command only this much. That's how many goals? <laughs> how many? I have it down to like the shot. I'm like, he's gonna have to get 48 <laughs> shots between now to the end of the playoff run. Oh, he's at 49. <laughs> he's gonna be too expensive now. Um, but uh, yeah, and like Raquel, I think would be a great one too. And honestly, like when we brought up Raquel on the podcast a couple weeks ago, I was like, yeah, like I looked at his numbers. Not like I guess he's not in great form right now, but. I was looking at it a little bit more closely uh, just on the deadline today. And like, he's probably been the Ducks best forward or even player this season. Uh, that's just not a great offensive team. So like, I think if with a change of scenery and, and some, some better players to play with, I think he could actually be a hell of a player as well. So, I mean, those two yeah. guys who we did not end up getting, I would not close the book on them just because we have this window with the weak North division. I mean, not, not super weak North division, but like a winnable North division. Um, I think, you know, we could go after the guys we've been talking about getting in the off season. And that would still be, it would, that'd be great if we could actually get one of them. Yeah, I know. I, I'm I, don't always, think, I don't think we will. I'm always glad to, to, to have that Taylor Hall returning back to Edmonton door open. Um, it closed with the trade deadline, but it remains open for him returning in free agency. Uh, his comments today kind of, put some just put a damper on that it sounds like he really wants to be in boston and boston really wants him there so if it comes down to it and he plays even halfway decent i think i think taylor hall will be returning to boston i think they will get a deal done but if he doesn't yeah of course i i, I would totally invite him in and I, i'm also a big fan of raquel um i'm looking at a list of uh the free agents here um top of the list alex ovechkin i know that's not happening no. but uh I thought I should bring. Do it I up get the there. Swedish murder bot that sets Alex Ovechkin up with Alex Ovechkin? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, let's get let's let's just break the bank. Let's trade everyone and get Ovechkin and Backstrom, and then our top Not line. Everyone, just the garbage, okay? <laughs> garbage contracts. <laughs> that, that, that's a pipe dream, obviously. The, an interesting guy for me is Patrick Laine. He hasn't had a fantastic uh, 
a start in Columbus. He, he's got some friction with Tortorella. I don't think he's the only player with friction with Tortorella. There's quite a few, but um, he's another guy who could shake loose in this offseason. Um, in trade, I think you could trade for the rights of him. He's an RFA at the end of the year. He's another guy I would keep an eye on, um, especially because of his history with Jesse Pugliarvi. Um, and just at least take a look at it, Ken Holland. You did. You can't just shake these off and think, "Oh no, this is way out of way out of, way out of range." Um, another guy I have on here is, I believe, Gabriel Landeskog. He's going to demand a lot of money, um, and Colorado yeah. most likely. Okay. You were going to need to dynamite to move Landeskog out of what they've been building in yeah. Colorado. You know, these are, these are, these are, these are pipe dream suggestions here. I'm just taking a look through the list, but I think Taylor Hall and Ricard Raquel are definitely two guys. I would definitely be, be happy about if they joined the Oilers. I do have doubts that Ken Holland can get anything of substance done though. I could see line a being attainable. I mean, he's, his Valley has got to be in an all time low right now. And I yeah, thought, sure. I said that when he that was we traded sold low. I thought we sold when they had low value and bought when they had high value. I mean, like we do, but like if maybe one time we didn't want to, that maybe Line A would be the case. I feel like Line A and Pugliarvi would be such a good compliment to each other too. They're almost like, I know like physically they're very similar, like they're both big guys, but they're, they're very different in their strengths. And I feel like together they could actually like form quite a duo because Line A is not good defensively and Pugliarvi actually is. But he's but Line is just like an unreal finisher, which is kind of a weakness in Pulleyarvi's game. Well, you plug him next to McDavid, and McDavid needs a finisher, and yeah. it's just a dream, a dream duo, right? A dream trio because you got McDavid and yeah, Pulleyarvi who are pretty good defensively, and then you got Line being the trigger man on that line. Oh man, McDavid with those stallions on his wing, that'd be unreal. Maybe you could even get some actual defensive defenders in there to you know like do the defending <laughs> yeah my, my dream oilers team is just like the oilers of the 80s like they win every game nine to seven like i just want want to see that that's more exciting right no a, yeah. well hey we don't want to be the minnesota wild of, of not have you this ever year, thought of, of the goalies in this no, no like I no gentlemen so. think of the goalies, goalies the oilers hunter the mascot no i'm just kidding he actually he's the one i like he's the only one i like the only guy associated with this team Hunter the mascot is where you're the hill you're gonna die on. Yeah, he's, he's great. He's a pretty good mascot. I think he gets a bad rap. He's pretty cool. I'm saying Underrated, this unironically. Sure. Yeah. Slightly creepy. <laughs> All right. Um, we're gonna circle back on something that we talked about in previous podcasts, but we have to talk about it again because hockey men out there are talking about it. Um, oh, I believe it was Craig Button from TSN and then Ryan Rashog, I think, brought this up as well. I might be wrong on Ryan Rashog, but it was one of these Edmonton media guys who um, said that not signing Tyson Berry to an extension would be Edmonton's biggest mistake this offseason. It's priority number one, which I think is just a load of crap. That's just, that's a joke. If that's their number one priority, fire everyone involved. Because we have Ryan Nugent Hopkins up. Do you remember how we talked about priorities and how sensible hockey people may not have the same priorities as Oilers This management? is a whole episode based on how upset we are with you, Oilers. Okay, we're going to keep this train rolling. Um, if think... anyone out there watches The Simpsons and they, they know that um, there's that one episode where Homer has that card that says, always do the opposite of what Bart says. I, I feel like Ken Holland should have a card that says, always do the opposite of what Ryan Rashog and the Oilers media says. If they start telling you to do something, just do the opposite. Just don't do it. Do a good job. 
Well, no, you'll do a better job. <laughs> you know, we could work at upgrading our media too. Who knew? Um, no, I think, um, honestly, we've talked about this. If re-signing Barry is your number one priority, then you are shortchanging every defensive prospect you have, especially ones like Evan Bouchard, who are offensive defensive prospects. Because, and you know, if he were developed properly, that's a big if because Oilers, um, Evan Bouchard can be what Tyson Berry is. Evan Bouchard can probably be like realistically better at Tyson Berry's job than Tyson Berry currently is. But you have to actually develop him. Hey, look, Corey's nodding. I must be saying smart hockey things instead of just angry hockey things. Go me. Um, <laughs> but I think that if your first priority is to re-sign the aging veteran, then you've got shitty priorities. I'm going to earn that explicit tag this time, Preston. Oh, you've already earned it more so than any other episode. I'm not complaining, though. It's it's, it's frustrating time for, for Oiler fans, just like the past decade has been. Um, at least we're in a playoff spot this time around, though. There's a silver lining here. We might, we were going to get some playoff hockey, hopefully, unless the worst-case scenario happens. Um, but I agree with you completely. I think bringing back Tyson Berry is going to cost you more than it did to bring him here initially. And we have precious cap space, and we've seen what the Oilers have done with this precious cap space in years past. We got rid of Jordan and we got Chris Russell with that cap space. Now we have a chance to actually upgrade the team up front. And now people want to give it to Tyson Berry when we have a perfectly good Evan Bouchard right here who could probably jump in and do the exact same thing that Barry's doing and probably be even a little bit better at defending, you know, because he's a defenseman. All I can see, well, so is Barry technically, isn't he? Well, yeah, but he doesn't do a lot of defending. Um, all I can see is Preston is like Gollum. My precious with the gas space. It is precious right now, man. It's, it's precious. Get it and we waste it. And it's just this precious thing that we can never have. Just take the cap space to Mount Doom and throw it in the fire. That's It'll be what, just as useful. As you, <laughs> it will be just as useful as what you've done in the past. Exactly. So this is an opportunity for this management to really turn the tides. And if they give it to Tyson Berry. I've lost faith in them. It's just, you, there's, there's more to a hockey player than just box scores, box cars or whatever we call it. Yeah, there's heart. There's no yeah. box score oh, for God. heart. The, you have to look Hard at the, the possession That's numbers. So and... great. That's why he plays every game. He's got a heart as big as his head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is just a, a whole lot of frustration in this podcast, but I think what we can say is Tyson Berry, big extension, bad. Don't do it, Ken. Bad idea. Okay, moving on. Yeah. We're done with this with this whole trade deadline debacle and what the Oilers might do to screw it up in, in the summer. Let's talk about the week that was for the Oilers. They went 2-1. and one. They completed the nine-game sweep of the Ottawa Senators. That's pretty cool. They didn't play that great in either of those games. And then that poor play... Uh, kind of culminated at the end of the week with a 5 nothing loss to the struggling Calgary Flames. So what did we guys think? It was a winning record, but it wasn't fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you take that. Uh, you know, seeing those three games on your schedule, you're like, oh, I should pro- we should probably win two of them, and we did. So, like, macro level, like, that was a fine week. But, like, yeah, they weren't performances that really inspired a lot of optimism going forward. Um, beating 
I think I think it's nine and zero against against the yeah. Sens. That's super impressive. I mean, yeah. the Sens are all right against everyone who's not the Oilers, and I I feel like people forget that. Like, it's not like beating them should be considered a given. I know they didn't look great in their their wins against them this week, but that's very impressive that we beat the Sens nine times this year. I'm I'm super oh, impressed by that. But yeah, we look like dog shit, like fucking awful against Calgary on on Saturday. Yeah, and you know, I, I, Corey, I, I, welcome to the explicit deck. Hey, I figured you said so much, like may as well. Not yet, not me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Pre- Preston needs Preston needs young. to migrate over to the dark side. I'm a precious sure. young, untainted soul. Um, <laughs> sure, right, I might go to jail if you start swearing on the podcast. <laughs> I haven't. I'm not a big law guy, but I think so. Um, um, I can see um, Connor McDavid made a comment after the game that um, he wasn't too impressed with the league uh, scheduling that game on the same day as a Colby Cave Memorial. I understand that. that the, the team is going through a lot with that. It is an emotional time. So I can give them definitely give them a pass on, on their poor play with, with emotions running high. But um, it is concerning nonetheless because you hope that they don't play like that down the stretch and into the playoffs. You hope that this is just a one-off thing um, due to the high emotion of the, of the well, time. So I think it's, it's disappointing. It was the flames. I think yeah. because we talked about last week, how, or was it two weeks ago? I don't know. At some point we talked about how players seem to have more, um, they have more hype or more, you know, just more emotion around playing Calgary because it's a traditional rivalry. So um yeah, I can see how, you know, all the emotions from Colby um, Caves Memorial and everything that was surrounding that might have kind of burned them out. But at the same time, um, if there was ever a game you would think after something emotional like that, that they might be able to to kind of channel that, it would be against their biggest rival. So I think, um, and I don't know if it was the players um, just not being in the right mindset, if they're just not playing enough hockey, if they're playing too much hockey, if they're, you know, sports psych people aren't, you know, directing them in a way that's productive or, or what's going on. But it is a little, um, I think that that would have been a rough game against any team. I think um, to see it become an even rougher game against Calgary speaks to something, you know, there's something kind of worryingly off that I hope, like you were saying, Preston, that they sort out before they go back to playing a lot of hockey. And I'm a little worried because like, as we look at the schedule going forward, they don't have, you know, we don't have a lot of hockey in the next week or so to see if they're, if they've got that figured, right? Yeah. They've got another yeah. long break. Well, one thing I guess, like I, I was pretty, uh, pretty down on that Flames effort, obviously, if I didn't make that clear earlier, but like the, uh, I'm pretty sure <laughs> the Blues beat uh, the Wild like 9-1 last week. And the Wild, like the week before that, beat the Avs 7-3, to I believe. And the Avs are probably the best team in hockey. So, like, everyone everyone plays terrible games sometimes, is my point. Yeah. There. It, it, I think it was a little more concerning, um, considering that in those wins against Ottawa, we were, we were like, vastly outplayed in stretches of time. 100%. So, yeah. to see them go into a game like that against Calgary and just completely drop the ball, it's starting to worry people that, including myself, that it might be a little bit of a trend. Um, so yeah, we'll take the two, one record and, uh, we'll move into this next week. We got two games on the docket for this week. Uh, the Canucks on Friday, the Canucks are returning 
for their first game since their COVID outbreak. I have my doubts that it'll actually be played. Shona's shaking her head. Um, she wrote a whole article this week, if you guys want to check it out, on Copper I, uh, and Blue. Like I said in the alternate title, I, I hated the idea so much, you know, that I spent 10 minutes on the podcast ranting about it, and then I wrote a thousand words, so even more people could know how much I hated it. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't seem probable that um, I think they added more players to the COVID protocol list. I think we should expect that one to be canceled or postponed again. I think the Canucks season is on the verge of just ending because it's it's you don't want to risk any more teams getting involved in this outbreak. And plus, you got to think of these players and their families, right? Um, Do we though? Like the, the league nah, has to, man. It's I, I know the league. The is league the should. The league, the league should, should. Yeah. but you know, like as of the 5th of April, which, you know, was just last Monday, they were saying not to worry that these games were all easily re- or not easily, but could all be rescheduled and, you know, Vancouver would be able to finish its season. Well, you know, we're, uh, we're watching time tick away. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Vancouver to... even wants to finish its season. I mean, I, I don't really know many Canucks fans, but like, do their fans even want no. to see them play the rest of the I season? I do know like... a few Canucks fans and most of their, obviously, like? you know, there's, oh, the Canucks fans I know are, yeah. are wonderful. Yeah. Huh. They're all my, uh, you know, huh. social hockey people where we get together and bitch about, you know, the pronouns and defensemen and, and, you know, how it could be just defender um, huh. and stuff like that. So they're my people, like spicy red people. <laughs> <laughs> but, they're they're also my people so they're way more concerned about you know the Canucks being worried about leaving their families for road trips and their um what's going on with you know the the prioritization of making money over people's health and long term you know I, I said it in the article I wrote like we have no idea what this does to somebody's health long term and these players make their living using their their bodies and they're not all Connor McDavid they don't all make 12.5 million dollars and have 10-year careers so you're putting a lot of people at risk I know Vancouver did a trade this week and I was like or on that trade deadline day just something small and I was just like can you even trade people like are you physically allowed to move people out of the bubble if they're in it you know yeah like that was a that was a concern a lot of people I've seen on Twitter especially connects found I saw a few that were just like are we sure we should be trading people right now in the midst of this? It doesn't really make that much sense. I mean, but that's even like the NHL has no protocol for your team's in a COVID bubble and you're traded. Do you have to stay in the bubble till you clear or can you move, you know? Yeah. So I think Again, we should expect that game on Friday to be postponed. Right now it's still on the schedule, so it's still set to be played. I wouldn't hold my breath on it. And, and it opens up another large break for the Oilers. At least because it's Tuesday when this airs, and that'd be a long time. Preston yeah. won't be a cinnamon roll anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that opens up another large break for the Oilers in between games. As they've shown so far this year, they don't handle large breaks that well. They come back and they, they lay an egg on that first game back. And when every second game is after a long break, it's not a recipe for success. Um, if that game is postponed, that means uh, their next game will be on Saturday against a potential playoff matchup in the Winnipeg Jets on Hockey Night in Canada. I think that's going to be a huge game for the Oilers, especially with this being the prospect of a playoff matchup in the future. I think it will be a good measuring stick game. Yeah, and I think yeah. that Hockey Night in Canada is the multilingual one too. So if you get sick of watching the Oilers in one language, I think they have other languages. 
be cool. That's cool. <laughs> I'm just saying, my TV was telling me about multilingual hockey day or hockey night in Canada, and I was like, so if I get sick of my team being shitty in English, I can go watch them be shitty in Hindi. I don't know if that makes them any better, but it could be fun. <laughs> that does sound fun. I like that. <laughs> yeah, Corey, some actual hockey analysis up in this podcast. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think that the Oilers, like if, if they do play the Jets in the playoffs, that's probably my favorite first round matchup the Oilers could possibly have because the Oilers haven't really looked very good against Montreal or Toronto this year. I mean, in a few games they have, but overall, I think the reason is that the Jets don't defend that well. They kind of just try to outscore teams and then they have a good goalie as well. And the Oilers have just, I, I just like the Oilers going against anyone who's just trying to outscore someone with, with questionable defense. I mean, that's, that's our style. And we do it as good, if not better than anyone. Spoilers, um, it's 80s Oilers. You know, 80s Oilers love is just coming out. Game. So, yeah, I love that first round matchup. Uh, Can they win it, though? I think so. I think they would probably be favored in it. I, I'm pretty confident in saying right now that Vegas would have the Oilers as favorites over the Jets in a first round matchup. Yeah, I agree. And they, prob- I think, uh, and they would not be favored over Montreal or Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. Currently. They've struggled mightily against Toronto. East, East Coast hockey teams other than Ottawa have been the Oilers' kryptonite this year. But I think you you hit the nail on the head there when you said that the Oilers do well against the Jets because they're a team that doesn't defend well and rely on outscoring opponents. Because like you said, we have Carmack, McDavid, and Leon Dreisaitl. Those guys will outscore teams all day if uh, in a matchup. If they're given the space to do so, you're right. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably why the Oilers have struggled so much against teams like Toronto and Montreal that have more of a system and more of what will we call it a reliable defense, perhaps. Yeah, and also just more mobile defense, it seems. Hey, and interestingly enough, Toronto now has Calgary's goalie. So <laughs> I guess Mike Campbell's not going to get those Vesna votes, Corey. Jack Campbell. Yeah. Jack. Jack Campbell. My apologies. He, he's, he's, uh, his 11-game winning streak came to an end against Montreal today. So he's yeah. going to fade into obscurity. Yeah, let up early too. Although they, <laughs> they did get really outplayed in that first period. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this uh, week's podcast. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed our ranting about Ken Holland. I think we brought up a lot of great points. I think we can look at this team critically without uh, being pegged as people who hate the Oilers for no reason. Oh, we can't. We, we, gave, we, gave <laughs> we a have lot a perfectly of reasons good reason. Here. They're the Oilers. Perfectly good reasons here. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next Monday. We had this one out a little late because we wanted to see what was going down on the trade deadline before we recorded a new Bad episode. violin noise. Bad violin noise. Dmitry Kuligov <laughs> is an Oiler. And he'll be in the lineup two weeks from now, I think is what Holland said. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, Thanks for listening.